This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me here is Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Uh, it's our first show after the trading deadline, so we had lots of moves happen, which we talked a lot about last week. And uh, we've got some interesting things to talk about this week, including some really fascinating debuts by some highly touted young players we're going to get to. Uh, we're going to talk about a really incredible thing that the Dodgers pitchers have been doing, uh, induct one of our favorite outfielders into the StatCast Hall of Fame. And most importantly, I think, get to the Bradley Zimmer experience. Bradley Zimmer maybe the newest five-tool player in baseball. So we're going to get to him uh, in, in just a second. What do you think about Bradley Zimmer? Are you excited about him? Um, as I've been telling people, he's my new favorite player, non-Luis Perdomo division. Oh, this is high praise, by the way. Now, I know you want to, uh, you know, we'll get into all the stats about Bradley Zimmer and everything, but as you've been telling me for weeks, one of the things you love about Bradley Zimmer is uh, it wasn't a high school draftee, and he came out of a college program that, pretty much nobody pays attention to as far as baseball goes right yeah university of san francisco right and so that's it's just not the profile of guys that you expect uh coming up so i don't know it's kind of cool to see like not everybody has to come from you know usc or wherever the baseball schools are not everybody has to be like number one pick out of high school there's a lot of paths uh to being a baseball superstar which yeah is cool. and it's it's not just it's and it's not just the fact that he didn't come from a big program it's just that generally speaking the really dynamic athletes tend to get drafted out of high school. And he was a first-round pick. He was a high draft pick. So by the college, he had to, to you know, uh, demonstrate that he was going to be a big talent. But it's generally you don't see these kinds of athletes end up getting drafted out of college. That's sort of what's part of the, that sort of other element that makes him so unique. Right. So if you don't know Zimmer, he's playing center field for Cleveland. Uh, he's been up since the middle of May. And, you know, when you look at him, he's 6'5", right? He's a, he's a large man. Uh, he's 220 pounds. And we, like every night, we look at the StatCast leaderboards, and it seems like every night Brad Zimmer is showing up on top of these lists. And, you know, we knew he had a strong arm, and we'll get to that in a second. But the first thing that stands out to me, and this is why we're getting into him as a five-tool player, um, of which there are relatively few five-tool players, like Miguel Cabrera does not have the foot speed tool. Mike Trout doesn't really have the arm strength tool. Brad Zimmer sounds like he might have all five tools. Uh, he is third right now. On our sprint speed leaderboards, do you believe that he's six foot five? So number one is Billy Hamilton, uh, tied for number one is Byron Buxton, and third is Bradley Zimmer. And the guys he's ahead of, you know, D Gordon, Keon Broxton, uh, Ramel Tapia, these are the elite speedsters. These are not guys who are six foot five, right? And then I, I kind of looked back at some of the scouting reports, and a lot of the scouting reports had him as like a fifty-five to sixty on the twenty to eighty scouting scale as far as foot speed goes, which is above average, but it's not elite. It's not a seventy. It's not an eighty. And I'm starting to wonder if there's just sort of this inherent bias towards, you know, big guys that they just can't be that fast. Like you look at a guy who's 6'5", and you're like, he can't be fast. He can't be a, a guy with elite speed. And then you see him out in the field, and it's like, well, yeah, maybe he can. And he just, I mean, he's so much fun to watch in the outfield because of those long strides. He just glides to the ball. You know, it's just he covers just massive amounts. It's like three steps. It's like, oh, he went like gap to gap. Yeah, and he makes it look easy, because yeah, you're absolutely right. He's got these giant legs. And it's not like he never showed speed in the minors, by the way. 44 stolen bases in 2015 in the minors, 
38 stolen bases in 2016 in the minors, even this year in the big leagues, 13 uh, successful steals, only one time caught stealing. So this is a guy with truly elite speed, and, and to give you the number here, uh, 29.7 feet per second, and the, the scale for sprint speed is 27 feet per second is league average, 23 feet per second, you know, slow catchers, DHs, and 30 is elite. So 29.7 feet per second, uh, that's his max effort average, which is, like I said, number three in baseball. That's that's stunning to me to see that every night, and then every single night I see him doing something. I think uh, his fastest sprint speed of the season was almost 31 feet per second. He laid down a bunt to third base against Nolan Arenado of all people, and he beat it out. And I think that was the first thing that stood out to me, like, oh, this guy might actually be able to fly. So, you know, that that's tool one. And, you know, a quick reset of the five tools. Uh, th- uh, throwing arm, foot speed, defense, hitting for power, and hitting for average. And, you know, you don't have to eyeball these things anymore. We can measure some of them now. So that's pretty exciting. So it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, he's got the foot speed. The other tool that has to stand out the most is arm strength, Right. Do we agree with yes. this? Yeah, I guess it shouldn't be surprising because his brother um, is a big pitching prospect, Kyle Zimmer. He's had a bunch of arm injuries. But so I guess strong arm strength runs in the family. So Bradley Zimmer has eight of the 18 hardest tracked outfield throws in the big leagues this year. Remember, he didn't even appear until the middle of May, and he has eight of the 18 hardest throws we have tracked this year. Uh, across baseball this year, we have tracked a dozen throws at 100 miles an hour or harder. He has five of them. He also has the hardest assist of the year. He hit 101.5 miles an hour on June 18th to now Max Kepler of the Twins. Let's listen to that for a second. Lined up the middle and into center field. Coming around third, Kepler will try to score. Zimmer's throw it is in time. They got him at the dish. Another low throw from Bradley Zimmer that just skimmed over the top of the mound and got to Roberto Perez, who applied the tag. So you can see that's real. I mean, we know Max Kepler can move a little bit too, but just the numbers are crazy. He is the fourth highest max effort outfield arm strength average at 97.4 miles an hour. And uh, like I said, he hasn't even been up all year long. Yeah, I mean, and this is part of what makes him such an interesting player to me because the combination of elite speed and arm strength, like if we're, if, we're using, if we're using scouting grades here, he currently has 80-grade speed and 80-grade arm strength, and that's just not a combination you see very often. And you're right, and then, so the scouting reports didn't actually say that, right? And I agree with you, that's what he's showing. But imagine if they had, right? He, the number one overall prospect, probably, because it's not like he can't hit either. We didn't and, get to that yet. And, and like scouts don't really throw 80s around very often. Yeah. They'll throw 80s on like raw, they'll throw it on raw power. Giancarlo Stanton's power is 80, yeah, right? Like Geraldus Chapman's fastball is 80. But, but they, won't, you, they won't throw around a lot of 80s on speed or outfield arm strength. But if we're just going logically speaking, if we say, if we say like, okay, there's a, there's a bell curve of, of, of skills and we now can measure it, he's clearly 80-grade speed and he's clearly 80-grade arm strength. Because <laughs> there's know, only like two people that run faster than him and throw, and throw which, it as hard as him. Which is amazing. And I, I hate to keep carping on this, but he's six foot five. Now, I'll actually look back at this. Since 1901, which I chose, you know, it's when the American League came into existence, right? But that's one of the dates you can use as modern baseball. Well over a century. Uh, since 1901... There have only been three other players listed at six foot five to have had a season in which they played at least eighty percent of their games as a center fielder with a minimum of fifty games. Now, Dexter Fowler has done it nine times, and I admit I was surprised to see he was listed at six foot five. I know he's tall, but anyway, Dexter Fowler, Von Hayes, nineteen uh, eighties Philly, who I know Matt has fond memories of, and uh, Alex Rios, who I had forgotten had played center field for a bit, and Brad Zimmer. That's literally the list. So you don't see center fielders playing. Uh, who are that tall, unless you have elite speed. And, you know, most of the guys who are that tall don't. So I find that really, really interesting. The third tool, and this is kind of where it gets interesting with the five-tool player, It's it kind of depends on how you look at it. 
does being a five tool player mean that you have five above average tools or five average or better tools? Like it's a mild distinction, but it is a distinction because he's clearly well above average in the first two. Uh, and then fielding, hitting and hitting for power, it gets into he's average at worst, but is he above average in all of them? So I guess that's something subjective. Everyone gets their own choice to make. When I look at fielding, I think this is interesting. He's actually made a ton of highlight plays this year. Like he's made a couple of really great catches. They haven't all been great stack cast catches. You know, some of them just the data didn't come out to where, it, you know, it was a five-star catch or anything like that. But he has made three, four-star catches. And uh, what I found interesting here is if you look at, uh, you know, some of the advanced stats like DRS and UZR, they both love his defense, but they love his defense in large part because his arm adds such value. So if you just look at range, uh, about average. If you look at the, uh, you know, we're working on our new StatCast outfield range metric, uh, slightly above average. So average at worst, I would say, with a capacity for highlight real plays. But I, I'll give it to him, right? I mean, that counts. Especially last year there, Tyler and Aikwin, not a great defensive center. The judges, the judges will count it. Okay. Uh, the fourth tool is hitting for average. Now, I don't think you need to listen to the show to know that we don't actually care about batting average. Uh, so that is not what we would give him, although I think he's still like 20 points above league average. Uh, we would use exit velocity here. And we, also, we always use uh, 95 miles an hour is our definition of a hard hit baseball. So he has a 43% hard hit rate. The MLB average is 33%. Passes the smell test to me. Of the 263 hitters with as many batted balls as he has, his hard hit rate is 37th, which is top 15%. So that is well above average, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and we also like to say that you know hitting the ball hard is a skill. Like for example, Billy Hamilton in three years of Statcast, I believe, has one batted ball hit at 105 miles an hour or more. Uh, Nelson Cruz did that three times in like 36 hours the other day. Like it's a skill. Hamilton has many other skills, not necessarily that one. So when I look at uh, Brad Zimmer here, his hardest hit ball is 114 miles an hour off Sunny Gray back in May. And uh, only 43 hitters of the 800 or so who have hit this year have been able to get to that mark. I don't think you can do that by accident, right? Like, that's a skill. You either have that skill or you don't. And clearly he's shown that he does. The last one is hitting for power. And I, I don't really think he's built. I mean, he's a big dude, right? He's not really built to be a 40 home run power hitter. That's just not the kind of guy he is. I think he's more like a 20, 20 guy with, with good defense. Um, but, you know, his average home run distance, 412 feet. The major league average is 401 feet. His average uh, non-ground ball or average air ball is basically exactly league average, 275 feet. He has gone for 435 feet. I'll give him, at, at worst, league average power. So that's a five-tool player. I think we can kind of agree on that. There aren't a lot of other five-tool players out there. There's a lot of, you, know, you don't need five tools to be a superstar, Mike Trout, like I said. You know, I, I kind of just off the top of my head, Bryce Harper, maybe, right? Maybe. I'm not sure, you know, range and foot speed. I guess probably foot speed he is above average. Yeah, above uh, average. Not not elite, I don't think, yeah. but above average. Like maybe Manny Machado. You know, I mean, he's not really, I guess, an elite foot speed guy either. You know, kind of the same thing for like Nolan Arenado. You know, I think the best. Chris I mean, Bryant. I think Chris Bryant and Mookie Betts are well, probably. Mookie Betts is a very good one. Probably the best. And you don't think of Mookie Betts as an elite power guy, but he still hits. How many home runs did he hit last year? 30? 20-something? Uh, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, he's, he's, a above, good example. Our, he's above average power. Maybe, uh, maybe like a Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor type. Although, I don't know if I'd give Correa a plus glove at shortstop either. And then it, Lindor's having a kind of a down year. It, uh, it's hard to find these guys is the point. Yeah. So if you can even make a, a, a good argument that Zimmer is a five-tool guy, which I think you can, uh, that's, that's really impressive. There just aren't that many. Yeah, and there, and there hasn't been a 30-30 a season in, like, you know, like six or seven. It's been a while. So I can't remember what it was. I think it might be like Ryan Braun, like seven years ago. But I would, Zimmer's not going to do it this year because he missed too much of the year. But I would, yeah. 
he's a good bet in the next couple of years, I'd say, to put up a 30-30 season. Yeah, and remember, this is a team that went to the World Series last year. And now they have Bradley Zimmer as well. Uh, it, it's almost unfair. You know, he made his debut a couple months ago. There are a couple other young guys who have made their debut in the last week uh, that we're going to talk about. But first, very quickly, we do want to take a moment to tell you about our friends over at the Cut Forecast. That's the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's Cut Four section. Uh, they focus on the lighter side of baseball. And if you've made it this far to our podcast, you'll really enjoy theirs because it'll make you laugh and you'll learn something new about baseball dogs or ballpark food. Last week's episode included in-depth analysis of Bryce Harper's new Instagram food blog, which I didn't know was a thing, and now I'm excited to see it, uh, and a whole bunch of intriguing but definitely fake trade advice for your favorite team. If you're into that, do search Cut Forecast, C-U-T, number four, C-A-S-T in Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts and click subscribe. Uh, and now, you know, back with our show, we've had some guys make some interesting debuts the last couple of days, right? I mean, even just last night, we saw Lucas Sims uh, debut for the Braves. We saw Ahmed Rosario debut for the Dod- for the uh, the Mets. Excuse me. Hey, the Dodgers have enough good players. Oh, well, we'll get to that. You know, because Lucas Sims against the Dodgers is what I was trying uh, and failing to say there. Uh, but I know, I know Ahmed Rosario is something that I think Mets fans have been dying for. What I what I was kind of surprised is that they brought him up without actually having traded a Struble Cabrera first, right? So they still have Cabrera, they still have Walker, they still have Jose Reyes, uh, but Rosario is is going to be the man clearly going forward. Yeah, I think they, their their plan is to play him at shortstop. He'll probably get some days off because uh, he's never played 162 games. He's never played, but you know, minor league season ends like first week of September. So Terry Collins said they'll probably um, give him some days off. But I think he's going to be the primary shortstop from here on out. He was is currently ranked as the number two prospect in baseball by MLB Pipeline. And um, you know, anytime a player debuts, we're always excited. Like, okay, what is Statcast going to show us about this this player? And um, immediately something jumped out about Rosario in his debut. He went which. Similar to kind of what we talked about with Zimmer before, which is foot speed. Um, he was one for four. His first hit was a ground, an infield single, a grounder deep in the hole, and he forced a wide throw from Trevor Story and had a sprint speed of 30.6 feet per second. And it jumps out at you immediately because that is, as we've sort of said, a rule of thumb is like 30 feet per second is elite. That's, that's elite. So we're re- off the bat in his first game, he's demonstrating that – he has well above average foot speed. Let's listen to how that sounded real quick. Grounded toward the hole on the backhand story. The long throw is off the mark. Rosario heads for second. He'll make it safely. That should be an infield hit and an error. We'll wait for the scoring. But if it is a hit, it is the first in the major leagues for Ahmed Rosario. Reached out and pulled it in the hole. Get it them. is an infield hit for Rosario. So there it is, his first Perfect. major league hit. So, yeah, obviously he's got, you know, some elite speed. And, and as we said earlier with Zimmer, you can't really fake that, right? You, you either have that or you don't. You do not get to a sprint speed of 30.6 feet per second uh, unless it's a skill, you know, and in, in the minors, 19 for 25 in stolen bases this year, 19 for 28 last year. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily expect him to be a high, a high stolen base guy, but it just shows you the kind of athlete that he is, and it kind of shows you why people are so high. I mean, he's still 20, I mean, he's 21 years old, um, and you know, as we've shown, speed – is uh, doesn't is the first thing to decline, but the fact that he's starting from from a, a spot, I mean, he's already the Mets' fastest guy. Like immediately, he's the, no one on the Mets has approached thirty four. <laughs> I think Juan Lagar is the only guy who's approached thirty feet yeah, per second. It's not much of a competition, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but um, but it's it's interesting to see a guy debut. You know, the scouting report said above average speed, so I don't think this is that this is gonna this is that shocking. But it um, it was definitely seeing seeing the thirty above thirty feet per second definitely. Definitely jumped out at me, but also what jumped out at me in that game, and this is sort of a bit of an aside, is that Trevor Story, his counterpart in that game, shocked me with how fast he is. Because last night he had the fastest sprint speed, 
record of the night. Um, 31 feet per second on a four set, four set in the eighth. And then um, Steven Matz actually took a no-hitter into the fifth inning. And the first hit of the game was a grounder deep into short field by Rosario. Um, who sort of clearly, if you watch the play, clearly didn't appreciate how fast Trevor Story is because he kind of like pounded the ball into his glove and then looked up and was like, oh, goodness, I really need to rush this. And the throw was on target, but it was late. Story beat it out with 30.8 feet per second sprint speed. So, you know, people think of Trevor Story as sort of this this slugger because last year when he homered in like what was his first seven games, it was something crazy, and he's had a pretty pretty disappointing year last year. But I definitely did not appreciate how fast Trevor Story is. Uh, clearly, Rosario did neither. But you know, as you said, Story is a top five sprint speed guy among shortstops, right? I mean, Trey Turner's number one, unsurprising. Wilmer Defoe, I guess, which is a little surprising, is number two. Uh, and so Turner was a 29.2 feet per second. Defoe, uh, almost as fast, 29 feet per second. And then uh, Marte, 28.6 feet per second. And then tied at number four, Tim Anderson, who he can run. He had 49 stolen bases in Double A in 2015. And Trevor Story. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of, I mean, uh, I know we're sort of like uh, being a dead horse here a little bit, but it's just, it's, it's really deceiving. It really surprised me because you think of Tim Anderson, if you ask people what is, you know, Tim Anderson's notable baseball skill or tool, they would say speed. Like, when coming up, it was like, oh, this guy's a speedster. He's really going to wreak havoc on the bases. If you said this, ask the same people the same question about story, they'd be like, oh, it's his power. But in reality, story is as fast as Tim Anderson. Maybe not, it's, he's not going to steal as many bases, although in the minors he was 97 for 110 in stolen base attempts, Trevor Story. This is extremely impressive. <laughs> it's really <laughs> impressive. Uh, maybe he should be stealing more bases and increase his value that way. Um, so anyway, that, 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 definitely, that definitely stood out to me. I know we're getting away from debuts, That's but okay. I, wanted to, I wanted to mention this. I, I, I mean, obviously I have an extreme bias here, but I'm really enjoying the sprint speed tool because it does allow you to learn things about guys you wouldn't have otherwise thought of, like as you said, uh, Trevor Story. There were a couple other debuts this week, even last night. Uh, you know, as we said, Lucas Sims made his debut, and Ozzy Albies made his debut for the Braves as well. You know, that might be a game you look back on if you're an Atlanta fan and say, "Okay, here's where things really started to turn." Uh, interestingly enough, Albies is coming up to play second base. They still have Brandon Phillips, who uh, they reportedly want him to play third base, and this is why Freddie Freeman is back at first base and Matt Adams is in left field until Matt Kemp comes back. It's just it's a interesting puzzle mixture they've got in Atlanta right now. Um, Lucas Sims was at one point one of the best prospects in the Atlanta system. He was the number 21 overall pick uh, in 2012. And I think some of the prospect shine has has fallen off of him a little bit. Uh, Before 2014, he was the MLB Pipeline number 60 overall prospect. At the time of his call-up, he was the Braves' number 19 prospect and not anywhere close to the MLB Top 100. Uh, a little bit of a problem throwing strikes. I think he was actually involved in the uh, that minor league bus accident a couple years ago, which set him back a little bit. But anyway, he came up yesterday. Uh, obviously, everybody knows the Dodgers are red hot. Six innings and three earned runs against the Dodgers. That's not too bad. You'll take that. And I was watching that game, and you could see that the, you know I didn't really know much about his repertoire. I didn't know what he threw. And you could see the curveball was moving, and you can just eyeball that. And then we looked it up. He actually had the highest spin pitch of anybody yesterday, and that was on a night where you know Mike Fires is pitching, and he, he can spin that curveball. His highest spin curve last night was 3,109 RPM. So that's really good. I mean, to get over 3,000 is impressive. Approximately 1% of MLB curveballs hit 3,100 RPM. So he did something with his curveball that only happens 1% of the time. And, you know, kind of going back to the skill thing here, that's a skill. You know, I don't think you can fake that. Seth Lugo will tell you, you have it or you don't. <laughs> if you can do that, that says something. So I'm now interested to see Lucas Sims, you know, throw that curveball again the next time out. Well, now that you've had the, uh, the Seth Lugo aside, I have to mention, if you follow Mike on Twitter, <laughs> you'll see that Mike announced that he's going to be taking his son to his first major league game on Saturday. And lo and behold, the pitching matchup. <laughs> 
I, it's like the StatCast gods could not have smiled more upon Mike. The pitching matchup, it's Dodgers at Mets at City Field. It is Rich Hill against Seth Lugo. It's unbelievable. How and does this happen? I promise I didn't just make these plans this week. I, I can tell you, so it's my son's almost two. It'll be his first game. And I told my dad like two months ago for Father's Day, like, hey, I want to go to this game. This is where we're going to go. And I want you to come with us. It'll be a lot of fun. Obviously, two months ago, who knows who's going to pitch. And I looked at this yesterday, and I see, oh, Seth Lugo and Rich Hill. Oh, my God. And I about passed out. Now, just watch. It'll rain out. It'll happen. Hill will get hurt. Something. It won't happen. I guarantee it. But just the fact that that might possibly be the matchup, it's, I can't there, even express it. There couldn't it. possibly be a better combination of, like, pitchers and spectator than, like, Rich Hill. It's like it's almost like it's like they booked a performance for, for Mike. I, I should have, you know, when the Padres are in town, maybe a Luis Perdomo-Seth Lugo matchup. But, you know, that might have been the StatCast uh, matchup. So I'm so excited about this for, like, the two and a third's innings. My son will actually let me watch the game. I hope it's extremely exciting. So watch out for me on Saturday. I'm going uh, to be having a blast. And then, hey. You know, the other guy that got called up, not yesterday, but last week uh, in Boston, right? Rafael Devers. And I, I have to admit, I was not in favor of the call-up. I thought they called him up too quickly, and maybe it'll turn out they did. It's only been 32 plate appearances. However, 429 batting average, 500 on base, 714 slugging percentage. Uh, that is an impressive debut as far as these things go, especially with the weakness the Red Sox had had at third base all year long. And, you know, these are not accidents, right? Obviously, we're not dealing with large sample sizes here. Seven of his first 22 batted balls have been hit 100 miles an hour. That's, that's really good. Uh, that's 32%. The major league average is 19%. Nine of his 22 batted balls have been 95 miles an hour, what we call hard hit. That's 41%. The major league average is 33%. Uh, 503 players have hit the ball in at least 22 times. He is currently tied for 16th with Bryce Harper and Corey Seager and J.D. Martinez for average exit velocity. Again, extremely small samples. I don't want to make too much out of it, but you don't come up and crush the ball that hard if you're not doing something right. Well, I mean, the th- what you see with a lot of these, these hitting prospects that come up, it's like you don't necessarily expect them to come up and, and be gangbusters from day one, but it's kind of like you know when, it, when an elite pitching prospect comes up you know, and you know he, he's got a crazy velocity. And, you know, you know, maybe I'm thinking back to when, when Strasburg came up and, like, you know, he's, he's, he's hitting 100. Like, these are skills, right? And, like, so maybe they're going to have some growing pains. They're not always going to be, you know, putting up great stat, stat lines. But the results may not be there always, but the performance is there. So just the ability to do these things is what's going to stand out. So with a guy like Deaver is like, yeah, maybe pitch, we'll figure out how to pitch to him, and he'll go through some struggles as he kind of – the league figures him out, and he tries to adjust to it. But the, he, he's just demonstrating the ability to do these things that when he puts the bat on the ball, he's going to hit it hard. Yeah, and it's impressive because last year they kind of did something similar. They brought up Yuan Moncada to play third base, uh, and it seemed like he was rushed, and he, I don't know, went over for his first 12 or whatever and basically got buried on the bench for the rest of the year uh, and then got traded in the offseason. Kind of thought the same thing might happen here, but, you know, it didn't. He came up right away. It looked like he's ready to play. Uh, for a Red Sox team that's, you know, I think a half game up on the Yankees right now, and they very badly needed that boost. Yeah, they're actually they're they're up overall, but they're behind in the loss column. So it's going to be a tight race. The, the Yankees-Red uh, Sox race is going to be some uh, after, be interesting. After last night's Boston-Cleveland game, whatever it takes for those two teams to match up in the playoffs, that's, that's what I'm extremely in favor of. Uh, and then, you know, over on the National League side, we have the Dodgers. And I, there are so many different things we could talk about with the Dodgers. Uh, I'm actually writing something right now that kind of explains like 20 different numbers why they're so great. And we could probably spend an hour talking about all the things they're on track for. They're on pace for 114 wins. You know, they're on, on pace. Uh, I think they have more home wins right now than like five other teams have wins, which is unbelievable to think about. 
And obviously, it takes a billion different things to get to that point. But what I want to focus on right now is the pitching staff. And remember, all of this is without you, Darvish. He has not appeared for the Dodgers. He's uh, supposed to make his debut on Friday. So everything we're about to say here has nothing to do with you, Darvish. The Dodgers pitching staff, uh, obviously best in the league in ERA, unsurprising. They are third in strikeout percentage, 26% behind Cleveland and Houston. Okay, they, they get a lot of whiffs, you know, Kershaw, Jansen, and all that. Not surprising so far. They are first in weighted on base allowed. Okay, not surprising so far either. Their 283 is the best. Uh, that's a full 20 points over the Yankees, which is a pretty big gap. That's 303. The major league average is 327. The Dodgers are at 283. So that is, uh, you know, weighted on base is very much like OPP, except you get better credit for home runs uh, than you do singles, et cetera. Okay, not surprising so far. The best team has the best pitching staff. They are first in hard hit percentage allowed. So they have allowed the lowest hard hit percentage, uh, just over 27%, the major league average 33. So again, getting a lot of strikeouts, not allowing a lot of contact, but that's really what interests me the most is, yeah, you can blow guys away and, and, and get a lot of strikeouts. But when you look at expected weighted on base, and that's what we use with uh, you know, exit velocity and launch angle, the combination of each batted ball, you can say, how likely was this to be uh, a batted ball? And if you just look at a batted ex- ball, you mean to be uh, to be a hundred percent likely to be a batted ball to be a, to be a hit. If you look at uh, expected weighted on base, uh, just on contact. So we're not talking about strikeouts. We're not talking about walks. Their expected weighted on base is three thirty. The second place is Colorado with three forty seven. The major league average is three sixty. So really, all that means is forget the defense, forget the ballpark, forget the strikeouts, forget the walks. What is the quality of contact they're giving up? How dangerous is the contact that they're allowing just based on the league average? And they're giving up really the perfect kind of batted balls from a pitching point of view. They're, they're allowing the least dangerous balls uh, to come off the bat. And it's not surprising, I think, that a team run by the nerds would go after guys who limit exit velocity. Uh, Dave Cameron tweeted this out the other day after they made some trades. Um, they have now five, six of the 11 lowest average exit velocities on their team. Uh, Hill, Tony Watson, who they just got from Pittsburgh, McCarthy, Maida, Wood, and Kershaw are all in the top 11 for lowest exit velocity allowed. I cannot imagine that's an accident. Like, there's no way the Dodgers are not looking at that. No, and it's, it's, it's really fascinating to see where, where baseball analysis has gone when you think back to the early days of when, when BABIP was first discovered and people sort of, there's the whole, like, oh, pitchers have no control over balls in play. And that was sort of... I wouldn't say dog, sabermetric dogma for a while, but there was definitely this idea that, like, oh, with the exception of knuckleballers and soft-tossing lefties, that basically contact's the same. And what we're seeing now is, you know, and, and obviously batted ball data has changed this, is, like, you know, the, the smart teams are exploiting this and finding the pitchers who are, for whom it is a skill to limit weak contact. And, you know, the Dodgers being a perfect example of a team with, like, really smart people, really great resources, and also a deep farm system and a willingness to go out and sort of like play the game and acquire these certain types of pitchers. And it's not just Clayton Kershaw. They have a whole no. staff of like these, these pitchers who do this one thing really well. Well, you're right. And, and it's it's really comes back to their depth. I, like I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu and Kenta Maeda both threw zeros in their last two starts. Out. They looked really good. And that's like their sixth and seventh starter right now. Like once you throw in you Darvish, right? Like they've got more guys than they know what to do with. And depth is really, it's their story, right? Because they're not allowing their guys to go deep into games anymore. And, you know, for a lot of teams, for a lot of years, that would be, that's a problem if they're not throwing a ton of innings. But that's kind of postseason baseball coming to July, essentially, right? Because I, I just read about this yesterday. Uh, the Dodgers and the Astros, 
are two of the bottom four teams in terms of most times allowing their starters to face uh, a lineup the third time through. Right. And, it, and that's a lot of short starts. The Astros just want a solid month without having a starting pitcher getting out in the seventh inning, which it's, is for a lot of years. That means your starters were bad. And it's also pretty remarkable from the Dodgers perspective because they literally have the one pitcher who you always want facing the lineup. At right. So basically one fifth of their one fifth of their rotation. Granted, he's hurt now. Clayton Kershaw. But like one fifth of the time, you're all but guaranteed to have the starter face the lineup a third time. Yeah, both the Dodgers and the Astros are, I think, in the bottom eight in terms of uh, percentage of starts that go six innings or more. And I, I can kind of feel like the, the older school folks are like, oh, they, they don't work deep into games. You know, they don't, they don't have the heart to turn the lineup over. You know, they, they get their five innings in and they get out. But it's smart baseball. I mean, if you look at the, the stats are, are very clear. Uh, and I, I had to use OPS for this because it's just all I could find at the moment. But it gets the story done pretty well. The Dodgers uh, starters through the, fir- the first time through the lineup this year a uh, 611 OPS allowed. Second time is 699, right? If you look at the Astros, 634 the first time through, 753 the, thir- the second time through, and 803 the third time through. And in both cases, relievers the first time through are far better than that. So you look at those numbers and you say to yourself, why do I want to have my starter out there the third time through? So he can get a win? So they can eat up innings? We don't need that anymore. Like, we've got the 10-day DL. Both these teams have more relievers and they know what to do with. I know the Astros have been struggling a lot lately, but you have the 10-day DL. You've got options. You don't need to push your, your starters deep into games. It's, it's, you don't see it in the postseason when these things really matter. And honestly, it's, it's going to be a... For both these clubs, and particularly the Dodgers, just because they've shown such a willingness to sort of like really, you know, make roster moves and really flip over the last like three or four spots in their roster, um, to see how the the Dodgers are going to handle their roster in the playoffs and the roles they're going to cr- use for their pitchers. Uh, I mean, I guess now having Darvish sort of simplifies it because you know that in any series, assuming they're healthy, Kershaw and Darvish will each start at least two games, but. I mean, Alex Wood might win the NL Cy Young this year. <laughs> I mean, you can't diminish what he's done. He won't, because Scherzer's going to win it. But, I mean, he's going to be up there. But, it's, so it's, so it's, but then it's like, okay, which, which, which relievers will they have in each series, assuming they advance? Like, and how much is it going to change from series? Because they have so many different players. You know, they just added, they just added two lefties, you know? And it's like, right. well, who's, who, I could see that, you know, them, them changing 50% of their pitching staff from series to series. I mean, I mean it's, it's, File it's, that under good problems to have. I know, but it's just interesting to see that yeah. how they're going to, how they're going to do it. Cause you know that, I mean, right now, what else they think about? It's like roster machination. The, they just pull guys out of nowhere, by the way. Like, okay. Yeah. Kenley Jensen, everybody expected Kenley Jensen to be great. And he's been, but Brandon Morrow has been almost literally unhittable. He's been absolutely dominating. Chris Taylor, they traded for Zach Lee. Chris Taylor has been like a borderline MVP candidate this year. It, yeah. It's good. To see, it is good to finally see Brandon Morrow. Like, cause he's always had ridiculous stuff. And he's like, basically, all these guys make you a reminder that any like guy, elite starting pitcher prospect, just like wait five years and you could probably resurface as a good reliever somewhere. Yeah, he reminds me of uh, Josh Johnson, right? Like, it's like a talented starter who could just never stay healthy. I don't think he ever tried to be a reliever, Josh Johnson. Maybe maybe he couldn't stay healthy enough for that, or maybe he should have been. But yeah, Brandon Morrow is exactly what the new type of pitcher is, a starter who can't stay healthy. I'm just going to go to the bullpen and throw 100, try to hit it. So good luck with that. Uh, finally... This week, we are going to induct... I don't know if we've talked about Ender Inciarte enough on this show, but we are going to induct Ender Inciarte into the StatCast Hall of Fame. And yesterday, he had the best catch of the day, which by definition is the best catch of August, because it was only August 1st. He made a catch uh, against Cody Bellinger, 26%. He had to run 54 feet in 3.5 seconds. It looked very nice. Uh, let's take a second to hear what that sounded like. Fly ball, center, Ender on the run. He's going to die, and he's going to make the catch. Ender and CRT with a terrific catch. 
So an extremely nice catch. Uh, I think, you know, in and of itself, a 26 percentage catch is it's really good, but it's not like a crazy, the best catch of the year. I'm sort of using it as a tool so we can talk about Ender Inciarte, who never really seems to get enough credit, I think. I remember at the time, the uh, so he came over from Arizona in the Shelby Miller deal that everybody hated. And I think even at the time before Miller fell apart, I was like, I think Inciarte is the best player in this deal. And it certainly looks like it now that Dansby Swanson has kind of had a pretty tough year. So, uh, you know, we are working on, which we'll have out sometime later this year, um, a new StatCast outfield metric. And we've talked about catch probability a lot, but basically based on distance, based on direction, based on time, you can put a difficulty on every single play. Uh, and if you combine the difficulties of all the plays made and not played, you can come up with an a outs above average score. And it's not just how many catches did you make, it's how difficult were those catches. Seems to make sense to me. Uh, if you look, I'm going to give you a sneak pre peek at the leaderboard here if you look at the 26 uh, excuse me 2016 and 2017 leaderboard so the leaderboard of the last two years number one on that list is ender inciarte with a plus 34 so 34 outs above average and the guys below him are impressive billy hamilton mookie betts byron buxton lorenzo kane kevin kiermeyer jason hayward jackie bradley max kepler and adam eaton that's our top 10 right now those names i think extremely pass the smell test but at the top is ender inciarte like that's extremely impressive to me but here's the thing I like about him the most, or maybe the most interesting. He's not fast, necessarily. His sprint speed this year, 27.5. It's about league average. It's actually near the bottom of the center fielder list because center fielders are fast. So I don't know enough about him yet to say, why is he so great? Is it instincts? Is it routes? Is it just like he, he catches the ball when he dives? I don't know yet. It seems, like, seems to be a combination of yeah. those two things. But yeah, it's he's definitely someone that's, that's worth studying more for those reasons because obviously with a guy like Billy Hamilton or Buxton, it's pretty, you know, obviously they're just like incredibly fast and they can cover a lot of ground, but uh, that's not really uh, the same case for, uh, for Inciarte. No. And, and uh, he's a big part of this Braves team, by the way, they've got him signed for only $30 million over five years through 2021 with a 2022 team option, which is an extremely valuable deal. Um, but he's also, he's not just a hitter, excuse me, not just a fielder. He's a hitter as well. In two years of Atlanta, uh, 293 average, 347 on base, 388 slugging, essentially league average. So a league average player who's an elite center fielder, that's like a four to five win player. I mean, that's an all-star every year. He should have been an all-star this year. Was he an all-star this year? I can't remember now who I made it from the Braves. He was an all-star this year. All right, even better. Um, and then you had something really interesting that you found about the the type of hits he gets. Yeah, and you know we, we talk about hard hit balls all the time, you know, 95 miles per hour plus. But I'm interested in this idea of, of kind of what I call Tony Gwynn hits, those sort of soft line drives that kind of just, you know, you, you, you hear them, oh, he dumped it into left field. Like, where to me, you look at those sort of, that type of hitter doesn't really exist that much anymore just because of the, 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 the way baseball has been trending. But I believe that like, there is a skill there for those who, you know, choose to try and exploit it. Of course, you're only going to hit singles with it. But so... I was actually looking up something, trying to do research on, on a theory about Jose Altuve, which didn't really fit. But I was looking at, I looked at, um, this is, you know, just eyeballing. So, um, batted balls between 85 and 95 miles per hour with a launch angle between 10 and 20 degrees. So, basically, just eyeballing what I would say would be just like soft line drives. Um, the league, for what it's worth, hits hits 720 in this bucket. So, so this, these, these are the are, balls that will go over the infielder but not carry far enough to get to the outfield, Exactly. Right? Um, and they're not, you wouldn't call them weak. They're just, they're hit like in a nice angle, just not like completely, like on a, you know, it's a, you get, call, call it a soft line drive is probably what you, what you call it. Um, over the last three years, no one in baseball has more hits than Inciarte in that zone. He has 72 hits in that zone. No one else has more than 63 and only five people 
including uh, NCR Day, have more than 50. So it's, there's, not, there's not a lot. It's like, it's like him and D. Gordon and Yadier Molina. These are the kind of guys that are getting these kinds of hits, and you watch those players, and you kind of recognize what I'm talking about. What's interesting about NCR Day is that it's, it's a year-to-year thing. In 2015, he had the most hits in this category. In 2016, he was second to Molina, and this year he's second to D. Gordon. So it's like, this is it. For, for all intents and purposes, for him, this is a repeatable quote unquote skill. Well, if that's true, then other teams need to start playing the softball rover position and, you know, just bring in the, le- the left fielder or wherever to play, like, you know, short, second, right, kind of like where the shifted third baseman would play out there. Um, because it, I don't know if. I don't know if we can say he's doing this on purpose. It might just be what his swing is. Yeah. He's not a powerful guy, right? Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, he's had some homers this year, but he's not going to you know, hit 25, 30 home runs a year. Maybe that's just the way his swing is built. Maybe we just ruined his secret. Maybe teams are going to take advantage now of this. Now, now I'm going to go look at how teams have been playing him and wondering how they should be how they should be positioning themselves against him. I like that. See, every show we come up with a new idea to talk about for next week. That is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. He's Matt Myers. Thanks very much for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.